0: show we're talking about the open-ended debt solution welcome to simple money's solutions podcast your path to financial independence to deliberate lifestyle choices my name is Courtney I'm your co-host and as always I'm joined my co-host Trevor for a new episode of simple money solutions podcast so let's jump into today's show again we're talking about the open-ended debt solution on today's show we have a couple different areas we're going to talk about so in the show, we're going to, again, talk about the the areas in which we will borrow money. We do talk a lot of, on the show how that's not always something we condone, but we're going to talk about the areas where we potentially could. And we are going to conclude the show by talking about the problem with open-ended debt. So, uh, w- starting at the at the very top of the this this episode for today, Trevor, what is open ended debt in its entirety?
1: So I, we mentioned the ta- the title of the episode is the open ended debt solution, and I, I'm not suggesting it is a solution. It tends to be the default solution for most people, and I'm I'm against the open ended debt as a solution to life's problems. So open-ended debt is when you get into debt and you have no firm date in the future when that debt will be done. And the way debt is delivered to us or marketed to us, it looks like it's, it's not open-ended. It looks like this debt, like if, when you borrow money for a car, you borrow it for a fixed period of time. And that on the surface looks like not open-ended debt. When you borrow money for a house, you amortize it over a certain period of time. That, again, looks like not open-ended debt. But the way we, the way we renew it and, and use it, it actually is open-ended, meaning we have no concrete plan to be out of debt. We, we're okay borrowing money to solve life's larger problems with debt continually.
0: Wow. I have so many questions from that right uh, alone. And uh, my first question is where, where does the okayness around this idea come from? Is it, is it society saying that, you know what, it, it's, it's, it, it, there is no, there is no really fixed end date or is that, is that the institutions pushing that on us?
1: Well, part of it comes through society, societal expectations and the financial lending institutions it's they have no interest like there's no benefit for for the financial lending institutions for you to be out of debt so the banks there's there's nothing in it for them for you to be in a position to not need to borrow money now or in the future so it is marketed and society is okay with you uh being on the treadmill of debt
0: it's honestly so sneaky the way that open ended debt then is marketed to us because anything I am gonna throw at a house or a car we there is like you said that end in mind but it never it never generally sticks and and that's and and is have you been caught in this yourself has that did did you have you gone into because you do own a car you do own a home was that something that you firsthand experienced.
1: Well, I got into my first car loan. Everyone knows I my first car was a brand new car. And the way I was set up was I was going to be on the treadmill of car loans, meaning when I was done paying for this car, I would need another car. And of course, I was so busy paying for this car, I'd have to borrow money for the next car. That's the treadmill of, of car loan debt. And uh, I'll throw out the
0: three kind of examples we're going to talk about today. And uh, Trevor, before I do throw those out, though, you do always say on the show, we say on the show all the time as well, that we should not be borrowing money. We should not be getting ourselves into debt. But uh, with these three examples I'm going to throw it out, are, are you condoning that debt is okay uh, sometimes?
1: I'm saying these three examples, so it's going to be education, car loans, and mortgages. These three, they tend to be... Uh, generally speaking, there are unavoidable debts in our lives. I'm not okay with, you know how I feel about car loans. I I think you should pay cash for a car. If you absolutely have to borrow money, it should be over three years max. So clearly I I have some tolerance for car loans in in saying that. But uh, the other two, education, you tend to need the education before you have a source of income. So that, that debt and the cost of education just keeps going up. So that that debt appears to be—I'm not saying it's completely a, a avoidable, but it, it's it's somewhat unavoidable. And a mortgage, just the nature, the the just the sheer cost of a house. It, by the time you saved up the money to buy a house cash, your you you wouldn't need a house, or you'd it'd be twenty five years later, you would have raised a family, and your housing needs would have changed. By the time you saved up enough money to buy the house even if you could keep up with the inflating housing market. So these three things, I'm saying, I'm not condoning them, but I think it it would take a pretty determined individual to avoid them.
0: So I I do want to jump into these. and But before I do, I want to go back, I want to circle back to that open-ended debt. And do you think that do you think that the lending institution lends you that money with the full, complete understanding that it won't be repaid fully in this set amount of period? Like, is that is that the is that just the thing?
1: Well, when we get into them, you're going to see how the lending institutions really they they the only way they can see this is that it's it's a treadmill of debt. Once we the car loan will really expose it.
0: So uh, we're going to first, before we even get to the car loan, jump into education. This is essentially where most people's kind of first-hand experience with, with debt or with a loan really begins, even before we get our first car or first house. So let's talk about that, borrowing money for education.
1: So when you borrow money for education, you, you, you generally borrow it without a firm date at which you're going to pay it off. Does does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Because you're borrowing the money and you don't have an income. So this is the one of the rare situations in life where somebody's going to loan you money and it's not going to be based on your ability to repay it. Like you have no income. The 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 government who's loaning the money for the education, they have no idea if you're going to ever be able to repay this loan. Like you have no credit rating. Clearly, you've got your parents backing you, and I, and I think that plays a role in it. I, I actually have never borrowed money for education for me or my children, so I'm not a hundred percent dialed into exactly how it works, but you you the way i what I do know is you have a i think it's six months or maybe it's a year before interest starts being charged on the loan. so you get this grace period of no interest. but even that you it's still an open-ended debt in terms of when you have to pay it off by. There's the, there is no firm pay paid-off date. I, I'm sure there's there's probably penalties and all sorts of things built in, but the interest will just keep accumulating. How it should be done is you should borrow this money and you should have set in your mind, I will pay this money back three years from now. Just, just say you've given yourself, or, or say five years, you've given yourself five years to pay off this student debt. And what that means is you will do whatever it takes to repay that debt. You will get whatever job or jobs you have to to meet that deadline, rather than pay it off as money becomes available, because the problem is the, the you, other priorities always show up, and you end up being comfortable with this debt. You're okay having this payment in your life. you You work it into your your finances. you You make it work. And it be, just becomes this fixture in your life that you just, it, it's almost like a a pet <laughs> you, you have. Like it, it's just always there and you just become okay with it. But if you set this date, hard date in the future, so I'm graduating on this day, my student loan will be paid off on this day. And then you do whatever you have to, meaning you don't buy the new car, meaning you you live like a student for as many years as you have to until that debt is extinguished. That is how you have a non open ended debt solution that as far as student loans go but that isn't how our society is suggesting you conduct yourself our society is saying you've graduated you put in all the hard work go get yourself a car you 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 deserve it you've you've lived like a student for 4 years poverty stricken student get yourself a nice apartment. You, you don't have to live with these roommates anymore. These, <laughs> the, these wild animals, like they, they live like they're in a barn, you know, and society saying you're an adult, you should live like an adult. Like, and that you can't, you can't do all those things and pay off that debt with any sense of urgency. So it ends up being this open ended desolation. And part of it is the government can't, give you just here's the reason the government can't give you a hard pay uh, date that it has to be paid off by is let's just say you went to school to be a lawyer and you put in i don't know seven years and you didn't you didn't actually graduate you didn't actually become a lawyer but you have all the student loans that go with being a lawyer and and then just say another student they actually became a lawyer and ended up with a really high paying job well I, i don't think you can expect both those two People to repay those debts at the same rate, so it, it becomes hard for the lending institution, being the government, to hold the, to both those people to the same accountability. I think they should, but it, it's—I have never been on that end of it, so I don't think it's fair for me to say. But so it ends when you borrow money for as a student for education, it ends up being this open-ended debt solution, and you. Can choose to not let it be.
0: So I agree wholeheartedly with your live like a student sentiment. This is I if there's one thing that that I I wish everyone did when they graduated was live like a student. I know I did, and it was a game changer and 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 making that transition okay between because it always is a little bit rocky when you graduate. You don't always and that's sorry I'm going a little rant here, but when you graduate. I, in, in university, in college, there is this, this whole thing that, oh, as soon as you leave, you will find this awesome paying job. And you know what, that happens for, that happens for a a large number of people, but it doesn't happen for everyone at that job in their field. So I, I agree wholeheartedly that that is very, very, very key to, to making that transition work. But the other thing too is, you sometimes that first job that you do get out of college or university, and I know that you can speak to this, Trevor, because you kind of graduate and you're not quite making as as much as you might have hoped or you're kind of the basic level entry salary and you're maybe not in a great place to repay that that loan. So in your mind, you're telling yourself, oh, you know what? I will repay it when I make more because I'm just, I'm just, I'm rubbing nickels together right now trying to get by. So a full full circle, and I'm gonna fire a question back at you. How do you have or develop the self discipline, the willpower, the the self inflicted goal? Like that's the key piece that that we're missing here. And how do you develop it? Because, and I'm sure you've heard this, Trevor. You hear stories of thirty year olds, forty year olds, fifty year olds who are just paying off their student loans. I I know I've I've heard my fair share of stories.
1: Well, the one thing a, a newly graduated student has is they have the resourceful and wherewithal to live like a student. If somebody said to me, hey, you 50-year-old corporate exec, you know, whatever, go live like a student for a year so you can save up some money. I would not have the resourcefulness, the, the hardiness to pull that off, like once the longer you live a soft, comfortable lifestyle, you there's no going back. The, this train does not back up. It, it, once you graduate and move away from a student lifestyle, you can't regress for a whole bunch of reasons. Your ego won't let you. You, you're, you will get soft in, in a nutshell. You you just it it, it doesn't work. So the new the so you don't have the income but you do have the resourcefulness and the hardiness to live like a student. You, you've just did it for four years, do it for another four years in the whole scheme of things. Four years is, is like a, is a, is like a, this small micro measurement of time. And those four years you put in living like a student after you graduate will pay back tenfold later in your life. If you manage that money well. So the, the, so the problem is, like you said, Courtney, you don't get the good-paying jobs. But if you live like you are getting a good-paying job, even though you don't have the the income, but you're pretending you do because the you you dream that the money is going to show up some point in the future, and you start using debt, knowing, you know, I'm going to get promoted or or something good will happen to me and, and money will show up. Then, it, and the here's the problem is when you graduate, like you said, some people get these really golden jobs. And other people get the not so great jobs, the paying jobs, and you're 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 so you feel like you're being measured by society so much. When really, I don't think society cares, <laughs> but you feel like you're being measured because, and here's why: you just spent the that much of your whole life being measured by educa- educational institutions. You've spent your whole life being measured. And so when you graduate, you feel like the measuring's still going on, but it's not. The, nobody's measuring you anymore. The only measurement that's going on is is maybe how much, what, what's your credit rating? Like how much debt are you racking up? That's a measurement that could be happening, but nobody's measuring you. Uh, once you graduate and you're done school, Measuring's over, man. It's, it's, it's just life at that point.
0: And, and to your point, a big piece is that when you do graduate, you have all this debt and and that education and you, there is a lot of shame if you're, if you're not catapulted into that, that dream, dreamy job that you think you should be holding. And when you are in that space too, and you graduate, I mean, when you pit yourself against your peers who did achieve that fantastic right at a school job that they maybe were able to kind of come by, which is all the power to them is incredible. But, I mean, that's a hard measuring stick to, to pit yourself against as well. I, I, I know I was, I was that person who graduated who didn't essentially fall into a career right off the bat. And I know I, that was something that I struggled with is it, just knowing it's just measuring your success against someone else. And is, and, 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 when that person, it can successfully do that, you, you feel like you're definitely doing something wrong, but pretend, so pretend to, uh, two peers, one who landed that job, one who didn't, I mean, you're going to live different lifestyles in order to pay that debt oftentimes. So how, how do you stay? How, how do you, is, is it literally just living like a student that's going to get you there? Or is, or is there any other key pieces you think that are the game changers to staying committed to that goal and, and not letting anything cloud your vision? Because at that time, they're probably, there's those, those trips, those, those things that everyone else are doing that probably look really appealing.
1: Well, hopefully, you have the support of your family and you get scholarships and you don't have to borrow money to go to school. That, that's the ideal situation. But it, just say you don't have the support and, uh, and you don't get the scholarships and you're borrowing all the money to go to school or most of it. Well, I'm going to say your focus should be not... Uh, unfortunately, it shouldn't be building your career when you graduate. It should be focused on finding a job that will pay off that debt. I a lot of times you take an entry level job in a great organization that doesn't pay that well but you know it will lead to better things but if you are under a mountain of student loans you you really have to focus on that and 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 I think take whatever job you can to pay off that debt that that is how I it, it, as short-sighted as that may be it it actually it, it appears short-sighted but if you take the you know, really low paying, or oh, maybe even an internship into a great organization that may, may, and I put in quotes here, may lead to uh, a better opportunity. You start to become okay with that student, don't loan being in your life and, and never being paid off. I, I'm, you know, how I feel about getting debt out of your life. If you if you get that debt out of your life, and you don't have that payment hanging over your head, then you can take an even lower paying job. In a great organization, to that will lead to a better opportunity when you don't have to that that debt burden on top of all your other living expenses.
0: Not that we're an education podcast, but to throw a question at you, I was once told that if you, when you graduate, if you don't pursue a job within your field, that your education can expire. Does this? How does this relate to that?
1: I do believe that's true. Your education can expire. I, I don't think it expires as quickly as you think. I think you probably have got one or two years before people start to question whether you're actually interested in this line of work. But I, I think if you waited five years before you started to pursue your the, the, a career in the path that you studied, you, you might be you know teetering on uh, expiring your education at that point.
0: And my final question for you before we move on to the next area that we borrow money for is: Why do you think that the society deems it okay to let loans for education hang around like these clouds that, that never leave? Is it is it just is it just kind of deemed the norm, and that's why it's okay?
1: Well borrowing money for things that go up in value, which is you, so you're borrowing money because you're increasing in value, that's like borrowing money to buy a house. People are okay with that and I'm okay with that too it's so long it's it's going to lead to generating more income in your future. The The problem is is the government's loaning you the money and they haven't really put a lot of parameters. I mean, they, I, I, I'm kind of speaking at a turn because I've never borrowed money for education. I've never... My kids never have, but I do hear people who are in their 30s and 40s still talking about student debt. So I got to think you can let it hang around for a while. And I, I, I think that the government has just left it too open ended
0: and definitely it then becomes a our, we have to take that responsibility upon ourselves to repay it, which which we know can be difficult to i guess like you said kind of implement that ability to stick with a timeline
1: what's the oldest person you've heard of that still has student loans in their lives
0: they were almost so a, a couple that I know they are nearing 40 I believe
1: same so maybe there's maybe there is a time limit there maybe if the listeners know they can tell us but I I know people that were about almost 40 years old and still talking about student loans.
0: And and I mean, it's, it it kind of, yeah, I would love to have listener way feedback on this because I, I, I am very interested to hear about how kind of some more personal experiences around that. So let's jump on to the next area where borrowing money happens in a sneaky way. And this one is very prevalent. I mean, most society owns a car. This one is borrowing money for a car or a vehicle. And this one generally happens, I would say, after, sometimes before, but usually after we get that education. So just kind of walking through our timeline right now.
1: So borrowing money for a car is kind of, when I say you end up with an open-ended debt solution, people are going to say, oh, no, you don't. I got to... I got an eight year car loan. That's not open ended. I got to pay it off in eight years, right? That's what that sounds like. It's pretty close. Does, does it sound close to you?
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and we d- definitely, definitely.
1: But the overall solution to acquiring transportation becomes open ended. And so here's how buy, car buying usually happens. So you buy a car based on the monthly payment you can afford And lending institutions will determine that. They'll look at your income and all your other debts and say, well, based on how much money you got left over, uh, we can loan you this much money because we think you can afford this monthly payment. So that's step one. And assume the car was the most you could afford. And that's how people usually buy cars. The most you could afford, and let's just say you did it over eight years because that is becoming Sadly, the norm. I mean, try to buy a sixty-five thousand dollars truck with very little down and finance it over anything less than eight years, and you're 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 staring at a mortgage payment. So, eight years. I I am shocked by the number of people I know that have borrowed money for cars for over eight years.
0: What was it? What was it before when you say that eight years is now the new norm?
1: So I remember. So when I bought my. First brand new car, when everyone knows I did that. i I had a, a a bad experience early on, and I bought a brand new car. and I financed it over five years. and that was the the equivalent of eight years back then because most people were borrowing money back then over three years. And then the people who were buying cars they they couldn't afford were doing over four years. And just for perspective, I did my car over five years. So I really could not afford the car I bought. And so, so you've borrowed the money for eight years. And assume this dramatically reduces your savings rate. Because remember, the lending institutions looking at how much of a monthly payment they think you can squeeze into your disposable income. So they, they've kind of, they've probably maxed you out. So you, you've got a, a brand new car and you finance it over eight years with a monthly payment that probably leaves you with very little savings. That that's how the lending institutions are looking at how much they are willing to loan you. So you get to the end of the eight years and your, your car is, it, it's got a couple of years of life left in it, but not much, right? It, it's, it's nearing the end of its useful life. It's, some repairs are starting to up. I think you should keep a car for eight, uh, 10 to 12 years. So let's just saw it off at 10. So you got two years left of, of reliability in this car. So in two years, are you likely going to ha- be able to save up enough to pay cash for your next car? Nope. Nope. <laughs> cause you, cause you, you, your payment was so large that you, you had no room for substantial savings to put toward that, that new car, that, that next car. So this is where it is not, it, it's, it's open-ended because your next car, what are you going to do? You're going to borrow money again for your next car. So now you're just going from car loan to car loan. So even though the car loan was, was determined to be eight years, your car solution is to borrow money endlessly for every car you get. So this becomes an open-ended solution to car buying.
0: And really where that debt treadmill saying comes back around.
1: Exactly. So if in this, what I described to you, this is not like a unicorn. This is what people do. So I have a couple
0: of questions from you. I know you're going to talk about how car buying should actually happen, but to reflect back on your experience. So you did that. You bought that basically car that was... Going to take eight years to pay off. How did you? What was? What was your? What paint us the picture of what happened when you went to purchase the car after that car?
1: So that that was not eight year, but a five year car loan, which is today's eight year car loan. So I borrowed that money to buy that for five years. And when just let me tell you, when you're twenty something, five years is a quarter of your life. Like it's it's forever. So when you're twenty two. Five years is like twenty-five years when you're when you're fifty. I mean, it, it is it is a life. You're signing up for a lifetime debt is what it feels like, <laughs> and, and when you're paying it off, like it, it feels like it's going to be forever. And, and when you when you're in my age, five years is is a short period of time, but still you don't borrow money. But anyway, my my next car was used. My next car, my my next car was actually a minivan because I had children at that point and I, I needed more space, and so I bought a. I think it was, f- might've been five years old and I paid cash for that. I traded in my car and I, I had saved up the difference and paid cash for that minivan. And that, that was, that was it for me. So th- that's kind of how my next experience unfolded.
0: So it was a very deliberate, very calculated decision to kind of get yourself off that treadmill.
1: Well, I, I just did not like the, uh, the five like I didn't like owing for this thing forever. I mean, it was by the the problem is when you get when you have an eight year car loan, you're making payments on something that's turning into a piece of you know it, it's it's breaking down. It it it's not shiny anymore. You you're making payments on something that you don't even like.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And my my question for you too is, when did you come to that aha moment where you made that very deliberate decision? to not continue that cycle because that moment was very critical for you. Moving from your first to your second car that you owned, you could have veered down one of two paths and you chose the one that obviously led you to not paying debt over and over for a car. So was there a turning moment or was it just simply, as you said, that feeling that you didn't want to have that looming over you?
1: What opened my eyes to to this was, so car, you know what a car lease is, right now? It's it's a car lease. They didn't always exist, and the, back in the eighties, car leasing became a thing. And this is a way the car companies invented to sell cars to people they couldn't afford. So when you lease a car, you get a three-year lease. You're buying. You're basically buying three years of that car's life, and and then they turn around and and sell it as a used car. Well, when right around the time I was paying off my car loan people I knew were leasing cars and they, they were leasing because the payment was they could get a really fancy car for uh, a lease payment that was the same as a not so fancy car. And that's when I realized they're, they're selling cars to people. That, they, these people can't afford the cars they're driving. I, I guess it opened my eyes to the game that was being played by the, the lending institutions and, and the car manufacturers. And I didn't want any part of it.
0: No, I, I the whole idea of a lease in, in general does, it, it is a little mind-blowing, especially when they were probably first introduced and you were able to kind of compare and contrast the the different options you had to acquire a new vehicle. So if that's how you should not be buying a car, in your opinion, what does it look like to actually buy a car? How should that actually unfold?
1: So you're a new newly graduated student and you need a car, and this is how you acquire a car. So... You, you go out and you find a car that is reliable that you, can repay, that you can get a loan for that can be repaid over three years. And so that, that's first. So just say you found a car for $15,000, a used car, and you re, figured out you can manage the payments that would have that paid off in three years. So, but now you're going to drive this used car. So let's say it's like three or four years old, maybe it's five years old. And now you're going to drive this car for eight years. So let's just say it's three years old. It's just for simple math. So you drive this car for eight years. So it's paid off after three. So you got five years of no car payments. So now you, you save whatever you make in payments for those first three years. You take that money and you save it for five years. So now you've got this great big pool of money. So the, at the end of that five years, you can buy a car that is, I'm going to say for cash, that is Significantly better than your first car, but now you got no car payments and let's just say you drive that car for 10 years. Now you, you keep saving that car payment that you were making on that very first car for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, you buy your next car, you're going to have even more money imagine the car you can buy with that money so this way you you if you if you're a car person you can continually to upgrade your car but with cash and then you never have a you then you you by the time you got your third car the idea of borrowing money for a car will be so foreign so absurd you would never do it and this is how you you get off and stay off the the car debt treadmill
0: And this, this in my mind would only work if you were wholeheartedly, undoubtedly convinced that having, not having debt for a car that you no longer have or not rolling that debt into the next car is something that you firmly believe is, is the the right way to be and live. Because I just, I guess my question for this is, is, it must be hard to try to, convince yourself that doing this, that, that the method you just described is the best way to be when everyone else is doing the opposite.
1: Well, because everybody else is doing the opposite, there's just a plethora of really good used cars for sale. I, I, I I'm, I remember buying a used car or looking at used cars before leases ever existed. And th- I guess that's kind of how I ended up with my new car. Cause I couldn't find a, a really good used car but now that leases exist, leases create this, I'm going to say it's almost an oversupply of used cars. I've never seen so many high quality used cars for sale everywhere in in all my in all my life the, the more time, the more the the longer these leases exist, this leasing strategy exists. The used car market will always be full of really high quality used cars. And you can get so much information on used cars today. When I was looking at used cars way back before leases and and information about used cars, you you were just, it was a, a minefield. You didn't know what you were getting. Now you can get these accident reports. You can get like there's maintenance records because of the computerized environment You can, you can know the whole history of a used car if it's fairly current. So I think there, I hope, okay, everybody should buy used cars. Obviously somebody has to buy new cars to create the supply of used cars, but used cars is such a game changer from a wealth standpoint.
0: So you always say that the grass on your front lawn even feels just different once you paid off your mortgage and were completely f- financially independent. So what does it feel like w- when you paid off, when you pay off your car with every new car that you every ever used, new car that you buy, what does it feel like to drive that car as opposed to when you had debt on it?
1: You know, it's not the same as paying off your mortgage. And the reason it isn't is because the car is probably old worn out and you know there's things that are wrong with it it it, it, it's it's not nice anymore by the time you've paid it off so i I don't i don't feel that same way about a car i i just i just like owning a car and not having to make a car payment whereas your house you you can uh, in you, you can do home improvements home renovations It's different with a house than a car. A car just gets old and wears out so much quicker than a a house or a piece of real estate.
0: And my final question before we do move on to the next area where we can borrow money is for you, when how, how important I guess was, was paying, was getting or paying off those cars? Like how I'm just, my question really roots from getting someone on board who's listening to this, who isn't quite convinced about the necessity behind getting that car. Like why have that unnecessary stress into your life, trying to pay it off in three years when I can just do, do what everyone else is doing?
1: Well, for me, so having a car loan in my life was, was not a, a choice i I just wasn't really willing to do that, so the urgency to pay a car off would be so i can I, i'm I'm either going to stop driving cars or I'm going to need money for my next car. so it was always that forward looking about what kind of car am I going to need so I mentioned my my next vehicle was a uh, used minivan. I knew my I was going to have a family and my my car needs were going to change, so i I, I was always. So here's the thing with, with saving up and paying cash for a car is you get to sort of play in the future. But when you're paying back your car loan, your eight year car loan, you get to play in the past. Your mind has to reflect back on, on, on what you've done instead of reflecting on what you're going to do and work into the future.
0: I love that. I love that so much. So I mentioned the house and that is the next area we're going to talk about. The next area where we all happen to borrow money for is the third thing that kind of goes on in our life where we will get ourselves into owing for it.
1: So I mentioned borrow, borrowing money for things that go up in value. That's not a bad idea. It's just, it's it's not terrible. So real estate generally goes up in value. So you borrow money and you, you put a down payment down and the house you bought is going to go up in value, so it it it's not it's not a bad thing. But you need to do it in a more deliberate way. You you can't. So normally you you save up a down payment and you go house shopping, and the, you figure out the lending institutions will figure out how much they're comfortable with loaning you based on your ability to make payments and repay it. So you 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 go out, you find a house, and you just say it costs. $500,000. And you take the $500,000, you apply the interest and you you amortize that over 25 years is, is a common uh, denomination, right? You you, you spread, how mu- how much would the payments be if I, if I plan to pay this back over the course of 25 years? And through that, they come up with a monthly payment or a weekly payment or however frequency you're going to pay it. And then you sign up with a, uh, um, a term, so an, an interest rate For a for a term. So just say you sign up for a five-year term. So you get get a a mortgage that's amortized over 25 years, and you agree to repay it for the next five years at this specific interest rate. So it's called a fixed rate for five years. And at the end of the five years, you can revisit that amortization. You could in theory, you should take the remaining value and spread it over 20 years, because you just spent five years repaying your 25 year mortgage and you so you should take the remaining amount amortize over 20 years and just say you use you up for another five-year term at a fixed interest rate and of course you get to the end of that five years and then you should take the remaining amount and of course amortize it over five years less so but what what is a common practice is so you get that first mortgage 25 years you you repay it you sign up for a five-year term, and at the end of the five years, you say, let's just, you know, can, let's just amortize it over another 25 years. It'll make the payment smaller, you know and then maybe we can go get a new car. <laughs> you see where this is going, right? Oh, yeah. And, and whatever it's going to take to make the payment a little smaller. Let's just say the interest rate after five years, just say it went up by a 1%. Well, you were really comfortable with the um, the mortgage payment you were making, Well, that increase in interest rate is going to increase your mortgage payment if you amortize the remaining amount of the mortgage over 20 years. So you shorten it by five years, or you didn't actually shorten it. You just staying with the plan of 25 years. So five years in the future, but the interest went up. So you don't want to, you don't want to absorb that added cost into your budget. You don't want the larger mortgage payment. So you, 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 you spread it over another 25 years. And in doing that, the mortgage never really gets paid off. You just keep pushing the paid off date out into the future because you you end up in love with a monthly payment, a mortgage payment, like a pet. You just want to keep it around. And you, you end up leasing the house. This is what happens. You end up leasing it. Now, I got my first house with a 25-year m- mortgage, amortizer for 25 years. And we went in f- thinking, okay, that we didn't, we did that to get a lower monthly payment, but what we did sort of uh, outside of uh, the uh, banking agreement was we were going to pay it off in 15 years. So we saved up lump sums and, and every, whenever that mortgage came up renewal, we'd amortize it over a shorter period of time But looking back, it it was very complicated and convoluted. I think we should have just amortized it over 15 years from the very start. It would have made life a lot easier. We got there the same way, but it took a lot of gyrations and figuring and calculating to do it. But that's how how a mortgage can be sneaky, right? You, You end up, if you keep spreading it out, and then roll into this home equity line lines of credit where you can borrow against the equity in your home then you're just paying it off and borrowing it back just as fast it it becomes a slippery slope but that that mortgage is you think you have a a closed debt solution with a mortgage but you it, it it's designed to be what they call flexible right as your life changes, you know, you have children and you need new cars and you go on vacations and your, your, your lifestyle starts to inflate, you know, the banks are going to, they'll work with you. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they'll, they'll help you, right? That's what they're here for. They're here to help, right? That's what they tell you. And, and they, they, the best customers are the ones that keep coming back, right? So that's how a mortgage can be an open ended debt solution.
0: So in St. night. We generally society generally uses that as a crutch. We, would you say the ability to kind of have more flexible repayment?
1: Well, that flexibility. I mean, people will you you make excuses, right? Well, we you know we've got children now, and they've you know they've got activities, and 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 I'm saying lifestyle inflation is usually the root cause, right? Of not attacking that mortgage with like gazelle, like intensity, like, like, like you, you hate it and, and you, you want it out of your life. That's how you got to attack a mortgage. Cause when you don't have a mortgage in your life and you don't have payments of any kind, money will start to stack up in your life. You, you will, when you don't, when you're not making payments and you you're earning a good income and you're not letting your lifestyle inflate, you, you will Build wealth like you can't believe.
0: And with, with getting your mortgage paid off in the few years that you did, I have a couple of questions around this. But my first one is that obviously took a really big why. And for anyone who's just joining us on the podcast – we we know that you and your wife kind of moved, paying off the house, and then transitioned seamlessly into um, helping fund your children's education. So was that the why that really pushed that 15 year window, or were there other, obviously wanting not wanting debt or weighing on your shoulders to be a thing as well? But was there any other key factors that really made that what seemingly impossible feat actually
1: happen? Well, having a why and having a plan. Is what drove this whole thing. So, early retirement, uh, cash flowing my kids' education, those kind of time horizons were in my future. I I, I could see them. I knew when they were going to happen. They were, they were firm dates. And as if you start walking those dates back, I need to be mortgage free by this this year or this date. Uh, dates kind of. I, I wasn't that rigid. I I need to be mortgage free this in this particular year in order to save up in cash for my education my kids education this on this year in order to retire in this year so it, again my life was focused on the future and in strategizing about in the future rather than making payments and dealing with my past
0: no that makes sense and my other question is you and your wife essentially created what i would call manufactured adversity within your mission to pay off your mortgage within within 15 years. So in in saying that, did that cause any any stress or any kind of uncomfortable uncomfortable emotions that got stirred up? Did you make any big sacrifices just to meet this deadline? And was it at all comforting knowing that you had a little bit of wiggle room? And how did you not rely on that wiggle room as well, knowing that you could just, be, just turn to the institution and say that, oh, you know what, we're going to have to push this off a few more years?
1: Well, it, it's funny how you can become so resourceful. And, and when I say resourceful, like stretching the life out of a used car, uh, becoming uh, uh, an appliance repairman and uh, a lawnmower repairman yourself, right? Be- becoming resourceful. That's what I I developed in, in paying my mortgage down early. I ended up being sort of a very self-sufficient and uh, I'm using those skills to this very day. In fact, I, I think I would have just inflated my lifestyle it, had I not focused on paying down my mortgage. I would have just lived an inflated lifestyle. I would have found something to do with that money rather than save it. And when you, once you realize it spent 15 years, not, not needing that money and then educating my kids, still not needing that money to live off of all of a sudden I'm an empty nester. And I, I, I realize I haven't needed this money, this extra money my whole life. Why would I all of a sudden need it now as an empty nester? So that's enabled me to build a significant amount of wealth in, in order to retire early. And in saying retire early. I I clearly don't need that money in my extra money in my retirement either. Like I I've just lived, I consider a very comfortable life with not a lot of frills and not a lot of bells and whistles, but very comfortable.
0: So it's really this, I don't want to call this gift because it is well-earned money, but it is this thing that keeps rolling and rolling and benefiting you through all stages of your life
1: a hundred percent, like putting, paying for my kid's education was almost a gift because I've, I've, I've just sustained that much longer of, of a, I'm going to call it an uninflated lifestyle that I, I realized how comfortable I am. And what I, I really don't need that.
0: No, that's, uh, it's, it's, it is amazing when you look at it from that perspective. And, it was from asking my question a moments earlier, was there ever a time then or were there ever times did things ever come up that made you and your wife second guess or or not second guess but maybe question you know what is 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 this is this still what we're doing, or was that goal that that why like I asked earlier keeping you grounded
1: well, the why is strong right you, you get you gotta have a reason why you're doing something saving money for the sake of saving money is misery so if you don't have a reason or a why in your life you're doing something, it'll be just be unpleasant
0: and I think my final question for this this specific area is, do you know anyone who has done what you have done in terms of paying off their mortgage in fifteen years? and And two, why isn't this a more practically more sort more commonly practiced? thing that happens? Why is this not caught on?
1: I do know people that have done this. I have idolized them. I I've tried to s- m- mimic what they've done. I mean, this isn't my own invention and I have seen the low stress lifestyle they've lived. I, I mean, it, it's not common. It, it, our society is, is, uh, one built on status symbols and you can't generally see uh, a retirement savings account on someone's front lawn. I mean, he, he, it it's not in someone's driveway. It, it It's not a status symbol. You can, you can, you can brag about or show off.
0: And you think that's kind of one of the main reasons why this hasn't caught on because what I'm getting at is, do you think this is huge? Like willpower or self-discipline, are those also at play? Or is this just, is this just bigger than, than those kind of more, um characteristics that we have to find from within.
1: I think just not wanting the open-ended debt to be a solution to your life is really a, a philosophical mindset you have to adopt. It's not a discipline. It's it's just not being okay with this open ended treadmill of debt.
0: And it's it's funny that you say that because just not being okay because this this idea is actually extended and I'm sure it's, it's commonplace. We've all seen it, heard of it, but extending that idea to the couch that we're going to buy or the bed, bedroom set or just about anything can also be repaid over a number of years as well. So it's kind of, it blows my mind how far that is extended right into our consumer goods arena. So before we end the show, I want to talk about just wrapping it up with the three problems with open ended debt. So the first huge problem and we've talked about this early in the show but it's you spend your time solving your past rather than focusing on your future.
1: And this one is is uh, the problem is if you start out life in debt, you don't know what it feels like to to be focusing on your future which is exciting rather than dealing with your past decisions when you're repaying debt if you start out in debt, you never get to see the other side. You never get to know how good thinking about your future is rather than agonizing over your past.
0: The second problem with open-ended debt is that you become okay
1: with debt. And I mentioned through this episode, keeping debt around like a pet is, is, in, is a way of looking at it. But it's it, people tend a lot of people they they think in a monthly payment world and i know i i've asked people they, they'll get a new car and i say oh i love your new car right um okay somebody's driving a bmw i said wow i those bmws they're they're pretty fancy cars and a person i know got one and they said yeah it's like i i was able to lease this thing for 500 bucks a month and I'm thinking, you know, the, that's their mindset. They, they have no idea what the car cost. They have no idea what their total lease obligation is. They just, they talked to the salesperson and the salesperson said this much a month. I know some people that bought an uh, an RV, like a travel trailer. And I said, uh, they were showing me pictures of it. And I said, well, that's a really fancy looking trailer. And they said, yeah, we got it for, you know, $700 a month. A- and... Um, they, again, they probably don't really haven't digested the total cost. They're just focused on how much per month. That is that is the focus. Or I I've know people they've renewed they the interest rate went down and they renewed their mortgage and their mortgage payment dropped by you know hundred and eighty dollars a month. They they didn't tell me that you know you, you can tell that's their focus. They're not focused on now I only owe this much on my house my monthly payment is they're just managing their monthly payments. That is, that's when you're okay with open-ended debt solutions.
0: That's definitely a dangerous place to be. Third and final problem with open-ended debt is that you really have no sense of urgency.
1: And this one shows up in the student loan department the, the most is when the student loan, the cost of education has gone up dramatically and it it can be so the amount of debt that you people would take on, like just say it was you graduate and you're 23 years old and you have a hundred and twenty thousand dollars of student loan debt. Let's just say that's your number. When you're 23 years old, you that is so insurmountable. That is so that is such a mountain to scale that if you looked at it and you thought about the time frame it's going to take to repay that, and the, the 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 sacrifices you're going to have to make, if you put any intensity behind that, I think for the average person it would be agonizing. So a lot of people look at it with just no sense of urgency, just just to to deal with the 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 significance of those numbers.
0: I could not agree more with that. That that sentiment. So that does bring us the end of today's show on the open-ended debt solution, which we now know is not really a solution at all, but one that we perceive to be one. We talked about how we do end up borrowing money for some aspects of our life. We talked about borrowing money for education, borrowing money for a car and borrowing money for a house and, and how these should actually happen, even though sometimes they transpire in different ways. And again, we conclude with the show by talking about the problem with open-ended debt. Thank you so much for being here with us for another episode of Simple Money Solutions podcast. If you have any thoughts or feedback or comments about this show, you can always reach out to us at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com or through the contact submission form on our website at livelifesimple.ca. We'll also have the links for our social media and the show notes as well. They are at Simple Money Solutions on both Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much again for being with us and we'll catch you back here next week with a brand new show. Until then.